Climb aboard the struggle bus. You got problems just like us. Climb aboard the struggle bus. Let Kate and Sally help you. Welcome to the struggle bus. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. And we are here to fix your lives. That said, we are two people whose only qualifications to give you advice are that we have lots of feelings and lots of opinions. Neither of which are a substitute for professional guidance. Hey! Hey, Catherine. Week two in a row. We're doing it. We're back. We're nailing it. We're nailing it. Hey, listen, first, business. Mm -hmm. You can tweet at us at StrugglebusPod. Email us at StrugglebusPodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question, make sure you put that in the subject line. Or if you'd like to join our secret Facebook group, you can do that also by emailing strugglebuspodcast at gmail.com, but send a separate email and in the subject line say, please ask me, add us to the group, add us or me to the group. All of you. All of you. And use the email, tell me the email you log into Facebook with, not your account, not what your profile photo is. That doesn't help me. So um, Instagram.com slash the struggle bus pod. Use the hashtag struggle pod buds for 20 to find a struggle buddy. Um, you can go on strugglebuspodcast.com if you want to see our amazing timestamps and also to join our VIP member group for as little as $5 a month mm-hmm. where you receive a monthly bonus episode, including all of the ones we've done so far, and a cool thing in the mail. Mm -hmm. Tweet at Sally T. Tweet at me at SBK Heller. I think that's all it. Yeah, you just fucking right out of the gate. Like, as if I were a professional. Set them up, knocked them down. Knocked them down. Love it. Shall we get to opening Jibber Jabber? Why not? Let's do it. So, opening Jibber Jabber, Sally, do you want to go first? Because um, it looks really positive. Yeah, I'll go first. Or um, not, I don't know. No, no, it's it's positive. So, <laughs> Catherine, the rumors are true. Uh-huh. When you have health things happen that are scary, and then you, it turns out that you're fine, and but people like flock to your side anyway to like take care of you, it makes you feel really grateful. Yeah. You feel grateful for your health, and you feel grateful for the people who care about you. And um, it's been like a roller coaster for me. Uh, I'm fine. No one worry. But... You know, when you when you have to have something ripped out of you, then you got to go to the doctor a bunch after that. And then they want to there's tests and it's just like a whole thing. And but for those not up to speed, you had oh, right. an appendectomy. Yeah. For <laughs> those of you like, who, what's got taken out of yeah. you? For those of you who haven't been uh, following my uh, my tweet, my tweets. <laughs> um, you should. You should. Um, so like. I don't know. You know, I'm a bit of a catastrophic thinker under the best of circumstances. So when you take a bunch of tests, like pictures of the inside of my body and bodily fluids to be like, we're just going to go ahead and make sure that like (laughs) nothing terrible is happening inside you. And then you make me like wait around for the results. Like I'm going to I'm going to do a little panic thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm going to plan my own funeral. Maybe. What else will they find? Exactly. Because when I initially was getting um my the cat scan to see if I had uh, appendicitis, I was like, they're not going to find anything. It's going to be fine. And then they were like, we're going to need to take this out. And so that like destroyed my they're not going to find anything scenario. Mm. The point is, this shit is really scary, and it's really nice to just be okay. And it's like also when you get to be when you get older. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm 39. <laughs> like there's there's a point at which like you stop being so young that it would be really unlikely for something to be terribly wrong with you, you know? Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you're like, Oh, I'm now I'm at the age where they're actually, when you tell them a symptom, they're going to be like, Oh, we're just going to really quick, like screen you for some scary shit. Cause it's like not impossible. I am still adjusting to that. Um, anyway, so in conclusion, I just want to say I'm fine. And all I've been thinking about is, my body and my health and like what's going on inside me. And uh, it's exhausting, but I'm happy to say that I'm not only okay, I also am surrounded by people who are like, I'm I'm, like surrounded physically and geographically and also like digitally Mm. with people who are like, hey, how are you doing? I'm thinking about you. And that's just like the most delightful thing. And I'm so glad you're feeling better. When I heard you were sick, I was just sad for you because it is so, I don't want to say inconvenient. And there are people who have chronic illnesses. There are people who have very serious illnesses. And but no matter what, when you're feeling sick, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're in pain and especially when you can't do the things that you normally do. And if there's a a snag in the bat plan and all of a sudden you're not healing as quickly, it's just, it's really takes a toll. Yeah. It's tough. And like, I was also thinking about that, like how, like if you have, if you're, 
if you have something that is not apparent to people like looking at you, um, I just, you know, it made me think a lot about chronic illness. It made me think about disability. It just made me think about, you know, how I dealt with being in pain and discomfort for a very short period of time compared to what other people go through. But it felt like a really long time for me. And I was just like thinking about how the world, like just my, just like my walk to the subway, taking the subway, like there's, there are very few systems that are set up to actually like support people who are dealing with something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I became a lot more aware of that. And, you know, I'm speaking from a place of privilege and it's, it's something that, you know, should be on my mind and all of our minds a lot more. But I have to say that like, um, it, it, if I'm being honest, it isn't as much as it should be. Um, but that's another thing that like this experience made me, made me think a lot about. And not all illnesses are visible. Right. Yeah, people exactly. People forget that, you know, and so I guess, I mean, I'm going on my, my original jibber jabber was back at work and wearing dresses again nice. because I've started, um, wearing dresses yeah, again. Yeah, like which, your frock. So listen, yeah, in, in the show, I finished a nice long run with the, the near futurists and I don't ever wear uh, a dress in the show because it's very physical or you mm-hmm. need to hide a prop in your pocket or you're running around and it's just safety stuff. But this is the one week where I didn't have to wear jeans. Okay. So I wore a dress in the show and it was just so freeing and it was nice. just so fun. And I was like, I have so many dresses. Oh, that's awesome. And um, yeah, uh, but, but going to your point, actually, I want to kind of uh, piggyback yeah. off that and do- dovetail yeah. and put a pin in it <laughs> and whatever else corporate people say. Circle back right to it. Circle right back. I went through a really, really rough couple weeks. And as mm. you know, I wasn't even able to do the show, which made me so sad. But oh my goodness, I am so, I don't, I wouldn't wish what I'm going through on anyone. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people go through something similar, breakup stuff, relationship problems. Mm-hmm. But Oh my God, out of the woodwork, all my friends, strangers, mm. well, not strangers, that's weird, <laughs> but like people online, yeah. um, like my best friends, my new friends, my theater company, my my clients, my coworkers, like everyone was just, what do you need? What do you need? You know, and yeah. mm. I, it's not that I don't know how loved I am or like, yeah. I don't know that I have a really wonderful community, but I hate having to rely on it, but I feel so much love around me and I'm I'm seeing it more and more of like wow I could I could really do anything I want today. I could meet a friend in yeah. a second. I could just within one text someone will be there if I want, totally. you know, or and so anyway, yeah, that's that and I'm wearing dresses and looking pretty good. Yeah, um, you're you're looking amazing. You're wearing like a green flock uh fro- flock frock with yes, like a pattern which, which is also I think a is flock. Awesome. It's also a flock. A group of dresses it's, is called a, a flock of right, dresses. As yeah. we all know, but it's very like springy. <laughs> Uh, I'm really into it. Thank you. And it, it was sunny today, so I feel like it's a very like weather forward outfit. Yeah, I've been wearing a lot of uh, just fun, fun things. And by the way, I, I really love wearing jeans and boots. Like that's my jam too. Yeah. But it's fun to just kind of get out of your get out of your shell there and yeah, uh, mix it up. I feel like I look good today. You look amazing. Thank you. And your hair? I, I can also, we talk about your hair? yeah, we can. I, 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 uh, I did a little dyeing situation, and yeah. it looks real good. I did some nice natural highlights. Yeah. Naturally, my hair is a little bit reddish, so yeah. like brought those out. Yeah, you're really it's a good time. Head to toe, I feel like you're really bringing the ruckus. Brand new person on yeah. the outside. On the inside, well, still hurting. That's another. That's <laughs> another story. No, I still. I'm actually going through a range of emotions, and I'm feeling very grateful. Good. Yeah. We're both kind of on the parallel grateful tracks. Exactly. This week. Yeah. Exactly. At least, but I still have my appendix. So, that, so that's there's right. that appendix. 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 There's a slight difference. Yeah. Today, yeah. my doctor was like, they do that thing where they, you know, they like feel around your belly oh, to see that. if everything. So I was asking her if she could, if it felt different because I didn't have my appendix, but she said no, which I was kind of sad yeah, about. Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, what does it feel like? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, because I, I try to do that to myself to yeah. try to see if I can be like, oh yeah, the old spleen's doing great, <laughs> but I can't tell um, anything. It all just feels um, mushy. Yeah, I don't understand. You know, when like you see like an ultrasound or a doctor touches your belly and they're like, oh, well, clearly that's a. I have never seen an ultrasound that made sense. No, ever. No. Ever. Can I tell you, like, I've had some things. <laughs> I've had some pictures taken of different parts of the inside of my body. And they show you. They, like, send you home with the images. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, why would you, I don't know what any of this is. Yeah, yeah. You could, it's like, it looks like it's something, like, by H.R. Geiger, like, from Alien. <laughs> and they're like, see, you're fine. And I'm like, that doesn't look like anything to me. So I have a herniated disc in my neck, and I also have a bulging disc in my neck. And my doctor, who 
Hi, Dr. Zismore still listens. Um, he was trying to show me, understanding that, like, of course, how could I know? But mm-hmm. the bulge you could see, and that was bananas. Oh, shit, yeah. Really? And the herniation, it's more of a discoloration showing where the stuff's dribbling, which is bizarre. But hmm. here's how I understand doctors better. I do a lot of audio editing, uh, as you know, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to the point where I can just look at the file slightly close up and know what the word is, where it ends, where the breath begins. I've gotten to the point now where I've started editing without listening to it back and I make perfect fucking Whoa. edits. And uh, audio nerds out there, you'll love this. A, uh, a popped P or B is really hard to edit out. I found a way. Holy shit. I found a way to make it work. You're like a doctor looking at audio x-rays. Exactly. That's incredible. You mean you can tell from like the spikes and the yes. thing? Yes. Whoa. And I try to show people and I'm actually training my assistant this week and um, everyone's like looking at me the way I look at my doctor like, how did you? Whoa. But it just, years of practice. Yeah, yeah. It just becomes like a, another language you can read kind yeah. of. So yeah. that's what I'm saying is I'm going to be a doctor next. I, amazing. Doctor of words. Love it. <laughs> doctor of audio. So shall we jump into a thing we did for self-care? Let's do it. I think we should a thing we did for self-care i wonder if if uh i should just go first because it's a again it goes right into the love it so seamless web grubhub whatever you want to call it um i've been having a little bit of a hard time cooking for myself Mm -hmm. i love cooking but it it can't become a habit but there's something really really nice to know that every now and again i'm gonna order some food Mm -hmm. and someone's gonna bring it to me and they can see me in my Garfield pajamas. They can. And I won't feel weird about it. Will they? I hope not. <laughs> I'm good friends now with one of the guys. That's amazing. Yeah. They've probably seen worse and weirder than Garfield pajamas. You gotta wonder you about know? that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, secondly, I have been, you know, obviously going to my therapist, but um, I also paid a visit to my trusty old psychiatrist, which I check in with and uh, got some medication that is helping me through and it's working. Nice. And so all these things I, I preach on the show of like, you should do this, you should do that. But it was brought to my attention um, by my mother that <laughs> you got to make this your number one priority today. I don't care how busy you are. Get ye immediately oh, to your doctor. That's so good. And she was right because after I was able to talk and work through and get some stuff, I have been productive today. That's and I awesome. would not have been productive. So I do have the means. I mean, I, they, they don't take my insurance, so I'm paying a lot of money mm-hmm. that I'm yeah. still working through paying off. Um, it is very hard. I am. It's a very privileged place. I just I cannot stress that enough. And to find a good one is also very hard. Yeah. But if you do have the means, if you're at a school where they have a health services program or or any sort of thing, just know that the I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I can't get out of bed thing. Unfortunately, you need something to help you do all those things. Totally. And if you can make that the first thing on your list, even if you're on a train to 59th Street sobbing the entire way there. Yeah. Because that happened this yeah. morning. Sob your way to your therapist. Yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. But um, it really made a difference yeah. and it puts things in perspective and it helps It helps your brain put things in perspective and start to heal yeah. and move and and. You know, there's. I'm not going to get too much into going on with what happened, but either, you know, there's still things that are being discussed, and that's still personal stuff. But I'm feeling not optimistic per se, but more like I feel like no matter what, mm-hmm. I'm moving mm-hmm. forward. Good. And um, yeah, yeah. So that that seamless and psychiatrists. They should make psychiatrists on seamless. That would be amazing. I believe that's called the doctor's call. Oh, yeah, true. But like, like I don't know. But also they bring you food. Like, that would be mm. really... That would be amazing. Right? Two great tastes that taste Se- great together. Seems psychiatrist. Yeah, there it is. Rolls Sa- off the tongue. Siamless-less. Mmm. Psychiamless-less. Whatever. Well, we'll figure that out. We can workshop that. But I think Eventually. we have the basic idea. So do I think we have we're to, good. though? Well, yeah, right. we get the idea. <laughs> Sally, what, um, what did you do this week for self-care? Well, my self-care is like <laughs> a not distant relative of your self-care. Mm-hmm. I took a bunch of lifts, um, mostly like over the weekend, because I, I felt well enough to do errands. And I was like very ambitious. I was going to take the train to Park Slope and buy coffee and like return some things. And I got like halfway to the G train and I was like, nope. I'm already not shaking happening. my head. I yeah. would not have had the energy to do that. No. So I just I stopped where I was and I ordered a lift at to like some person's house and they took me like you know, wherever I was standing. And then I took a lift home too. And I, I really wanted to walk around because it was 
it was last Saturday when it was really nice out and I just haven't done, I, I mean, since the uh, appendix gate, my since my <laughs> birthday appendectomy, I've basically been like inert. Like I just haven't moved. I haven't left mm-hmm. my apartment. I was like desperate to do some walking around, but I knew that like, getting to and from was just going to be it was too it was not happening so you took a nice car ride like took a dog with his head out the exactly. window <laughs> I took a car ride there and back and I walked around a little in between and I was like you know same thing that you were saying with seamless like this is not sustainable I cannot live a life where I only take lifts but um it, it just felt really good to do that for myself when I needed it and know that like I actually had to do it because it was like part of my recovery even though you know I have so much guilt about taking lifts when there's like such a great quote unquote tra- public transportation system. In <laughs> but, um, no. but again, like, you know, that's another thing I was thinking about, like when I was sick, like, Oh, I just closed the dock. Why did that's I do okay. that? Um, like speaking of like being from a place of privilege, like there are so many, like, like Andrea said this to me, like, I missed an entire week of work. There are people who would, if I worked at Walmart, I would just be fired uh-huh. for not being able to make like one shift. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And I work for myself, so I missed a week of work because my client, I could not edit. But, you know, it happens. But I did it and got through it. And they were thankfully very understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I hear what you're saying. It's it's a lot of people can't take a week off work. Yeah. that mm-hmm. The fact that it's a privilege to be able to like have a very common thing go wrong and have to recover i mean oh restaurant industry don't even get me started that's yeah yeah Yeah, it's just like it's it's blows my mind that that's like an actual privilege but yeah yeah um on that Uh, note hey let's get to some emails love it shall we yes okay so email number one they want to be called peggy from Mad Men, which uh, i approve yes we have no problem with that ever uh can I read this? Yeah. Can I just say one thing yeah. about it? Um, I'm going to say the content note and then one other thing. Mm-hmm. So content note for suicide. And I just want to say that when Catherine and I get emails um, where someone mentions suicide or suicidal ideation, we send them back. Uh, before we talk about it on the show, we send them resources to pursue um, because we want to be clear that we cannot help people who are in crisis we're not equipped to like at at any rate like we're Catherine and I do not have the training to do that but also you know we don't check the email all the time so we might not see an email we don't um I I don't read every single email as it comes in um I look at them like as we put the show together so for a variety of reasons um and I know I'm like repeating myself here but I just want to be really clear like we can't provide acute interventions Mm -hmm. and if you feel like you are in crisis and if you're thinking about harming yourself or you're thinking about suicide please reach out to someone in your life who can help you please reach out to a therapist please contact a suicide hotline um which um all have like confidential 24 seven services and you can text them you can chat them you can call them please know that we care about you and we want to be here for you as much as we can. We're just not equipped in emergencies. Yeah. And this is not to say that you can't talk about these right, things right. in your emails, but we have concerns if, if what if someone is needing immediate help, we cannot offer that. And exactly. just, just be aware of that. So we do talk about it. So this one does have a content note. But um, thank you, Sally. That was very well put. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Hey, Kate and Sally. I'm in my late 30s, have a happy and healthy two-year-old son, but kind of very clueless husband, job that is stressful but fulfilling, some pastimes that I enjoy, and some friends. With all of these good things in my life, I'm still feeling hopeless and overwhelmed. I can't get it out of my head that I'm not cut out to manage the life that I've built for myself. I constantly feel like I'm failing everyone. I worry about losing my job. I worry about not being a good mom, wife, friend, daughter, sister. I worry about my body and feel unworthy. I worry about things that are so weird like our home being destroyed somehow or things I see on the news like solar radiation or gun violence. All of this insecurity has gotten worse since the birth of my son. I had a traumatic birth experience and feel that I've not yet recovered from the C-section surgery physically or mentally or emotionally. I went back to work after my year of maternity leave and I've been spiraling into a bigger mess for the past 14 months. 
I struggled with anxiety and panic attacks many years ago, but they came back more frequently and harder a few months ago, along with massively painful headaches, swollen joints, stomach issues, and exhaustion. I went quickly from suicidal ideation to making plans to end my life. It felt like I could do nothing to be good enough and my family would be better without me. At that point, I pushed the emergency stop button and got in to see my friend's doctor, who immediately put me on a medical leave from work, has sent me to a counselor, appointment pending, and put me on an antidepressant. I've also started working through a cognitive behavior therapy workbook to try to sort out how my thoughts are contributing to what I'm going through. I'm about 12 days into this new routine. There have been good and bad days, though it seems that things are trending upwards overall. I'm coming to understand the connection between thoughts and mood, behavior, physical reactions, but I don't know how to change my thought patterns and build up a sense of self-worth. These negative thoughts feel so real when they come that it's hard to move away from them. I've tried some yoga and meditation and mantras like I am good enough, but my brain just responds, no, you are not. What are some tangible steps I can take to work on silencing these harmful thoughts and feelings? Thank you, Peggy. Thank you for that, Peggy. Hey, Peggy. Thanks for writing in. Um, Okay. Here's what I think. First of all, I think that you've taken like incredible care of yourself. Like you said, you pushed the emergency button. You got your medical leave. You're taking an antidepressant. You're going to see a counselor. You got a workbook, meditation, yoga, mantras. I mean, you are basically doing everything, you know, which I think is awesome. So basically keep doing what you're doing. Know that you're on a really good path. Um, You're on the path to like not feeling the way you feel now. I think that um, the self-talk thing is really good, you know, but I understand that also yourself can like talk back. I think that, I mean, when I do the I am good enough thing and my brain says, no, you're not, I then am like, shut the fuck up. I'm not, (laughs) no one's talking to you. Like, I, I really think that like talking back to your inner voice is crucial and sometimes that means it's not just like you're not just saying one thing and moving on you're like having a conversation with yourself but I I honestly like I I use that to talk myself down from situations especially when I'm thinking catastrophically which it sounds like you're is partially happening with you um you said you're starting to see the connections between your thoughts and your moods and behavior and what you're experiencing physically that's like huge that's a huge step Mm -hmm. I mean having that insight is big time. Um, and I think like figuring out like, you know, getting your self worth back and that stuff, like that is not stuff you have to figure out right now. And you don't have to figure it out by yourself. You're going to go to this counselor and they're going to help you do that. And you're going to do it over time. But at right now, I think that everything you're doing is great. I think, um, you know, if, if it helps to like write things down, like so that you don't have to, I like, before I have to fly in an airplane, I write down a bunch of things that I want to tell myself when I'm on the flight and I'm freaking out. Because when I'm on the flight and I'm freaking out, I cannot call those things up to my mind because I'm too panicked. So I write them down and then I have something to look at. So one thing that you could do is, um, and maybe there's something like this in your workbook already, but when you're having like a good moment, like a calm moment of feeling like good and empowered, write down a bunch of things that, you know, you can say to yourself and also not, and and like things that you can say to your inner saboteur when it responds to your positive self-talk. Um, so that, that's just like a strategy I use, but um, I want to throw it to you, Catherine, because I've gone yeah. on. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, you are you are going through a really tough time. Again, I'm not a professional, but it sounds like you're, depressed or something is happening where you are at a very low point and it is exhausting. I'm sure you must be to be in that in that feeling it must be scary and I'm so sorry. I I'd like to give you the gift of taking a lot of the responsibility off your back because you can't do this alone. The workbooks, the the, the things, the, the the mantras are all great ideas and can be very helpful. But for right now, you're dealing with something that is so very, very serious that I don't want you to put that undue pressure on yourself that you have to fix this because you need help fixing it. And let's say you're at the bottom of a cliff, right? And you've got this heavy, heavy backpack of all the things and the tools and you need to get to the top of the cliff. And there's somebody there with the rope. But 
you're all you're thinking about is cool. So now there's a rope. I got my backpack and I need to get to the top. And will I be able to build a house? And and what will the house be like up there? Like you're already thinking ahead in a place where you just need to get up that cliff. And there are people who are going to help you step by step. And it's going to take a while. And then and only then I think you just start to really when you're in the place where you are finally up there and you are being well taken care of, then you can challenge yourself a little bit more to do the mantras and do a little bit more of the work and start to feel better about yourself. But for right now, um, I really think you should just relief, release yourself from the burden of trying to fix everything as soon as possible. Uh, you're 12 days into a routine. You haven't even seen the counselor yet. Um, that's going to be very important. So if you can even move the appointment up, do that. Um, but just know that that's, that's number one, right? So just step by step, make it a little bit easier on yourself. I like to write a list of here's what I need to do today. Mm. When I'm at my lowest point, I think, okay, eat, maybe shower, and uh and maybe email that one thing to set up a thing. And if I've done only those three things that day, that's a lot. And that's a step forward. So again, if if the mantras are working, if the yoga is working, and if, if um, this book is working, that's great. But you're going to need a lot more help. And you're not a failure for needing that. You're not a failure at all. In fact, I see you as someone who's so strong because you know you know you need help. And that takes a lot of strength. And you are a lot stronger than you realize. You have a lot going on. And you're not alone. And I think you should not feel bad to continue reaching out to the people who are helping you. And just take it, take it one day at a time. It's going to take a little while. But it will happen. Um, one other thing I wanted to say in terms of tangible steps to work on silencing harmful thoughts. Um, one other thing that I do, which, um, again, is like probably something, there's probably something similar in your, in your cognitive behavioral therapy workbook, but I, and I know it can be really hard to do this in the moment. It requires an amount of, um, insight about your thinking patterns, but you are, you did say you have them. But one thing I do is like when I catch myself thinking catastrophically, I'm, I, I stop and I ask myself what just happened Mm. that, I am thinking this way because even though it's not usually something, it's not a super clear cause and effect. Um, there is usually something for me like, um, like I'll, you know, I'll get an email that is frustrating. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like thinking catastrophically. And it's like, why did that happen? Oh, like the email really stressed me out. And when I get into a stressed out place, I, get really anxious and anxiety makes me think catastrophically or like, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't have to keep giving examples, but the point is, is just like sometimes it helps me to, um, and to help the part of my brain, like you were saying, when you have these bad thoughts, they feel so real. Mm. And to me, for me, like, I can't be like, this isn't real and then feel like it's not real. I have to really take it apart and really interrogate it. Mm -hmm. And so part of doing, part of what helps me do that is if I figure out what preceded my catastrophic thinking and like what came before it, what could have led to it, what could have contributed to it. Sometimes it might even be that like the day before I had a bad dream or like the day before I got into an argument with someone or whatever. It can be it can be anything. And then thinking about like, okay, like why am I having this particular thought? And for me, like my catastrophic thinking, which I don't mean to put that on you because you didn't use that phrase. It's just that it sounds like what I call catastrophic thinking. Mm. Um a lot of times what helps me realize that I'm not worrying about I'm worrying about something that is not real or is like so unlikely to be real is that whatever I'm like thinking about is it's it, it um like it complements all of my deepest fears so well that it would be like complete it would be like the chances of it actually being real are like one in a billion mm-hmm. you know what i mean so i think like having that kind of conversation with yourself where you're like okay i'm thinking i'm really worried that this thing is real but that's also my worst fear so that would just be too perfect if that was really real mm-hmm. that exercise really helps me maybe it'll help you um i'm just trying to give you like you wanted tangible steps to Mm -hmm. to turn those harmful thoughts off um and i do think that this stuff works i do really think that like the cbt type stuff that you're doing 
is really helpful for the kind of thinking that you're talk talking about. And I think it's it's going to get easier the more you do it. And it's going to get easier the longer you're on meds. It's going to get easier once you're seeing a therapist. Like it's all just going to get so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're putting in the time. And I think that that's what you have to do. Yeah. One more thing I do, um, a step is if I'm kind of panicking for whatever reason, I say to myself, okay, what is happening right now at at this exact Mm. moment? Okay. You're laying in bed. You just had a nightmare, but nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're safe. Like that sometimes it's so simple as that. Like, okay. Yeah. What is happening right now instead of what's going to happen in five minutes, you know? Yeah. It's like in this exact moment, I am totally safe is actually like for me a very calming thing to realize. Yeah. Totally. All right. Well, thank you. It was Peggy, right? Yeah. Peggy. Thank you, Peggy. I'm just going to call you Peggy Olson. Yeah. Um, Good luck. And I just want to bear with me because I want to just give Suicide Prevention Lifeline information, if that's okay. Um, 1-800-273-8255. And they also, if you go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org, there's also a chat um, and they have all kinds of resources. And that's, I'm bringing that up because not like specifically for you, Peggy Olson, I'm bringing it up because sometimes when people hear a long conversation about suicidal ideation or self-harm, it can be triggering and i just want to make sure we get that resource out there yes thank you sally for that all right email number two do you want to read yeah and they chose a name they did they would like to be called lady grantham Mm. from downton abbey Mm -hmm. so i'm totally in favor of that love Mm -hmm. a good period piece yes okay dear kate and sally I grew up in orange county california which if you know anything about is not known for its inclusivity While I did grow up in the northern parts of the county, where it is much more diverse, I have still retained problematic ideologies of colorblindness. I have recently been putting myself in spaces where I can explore my ethnic identity and my womanhood, giving me a certain sense of empowerment and coming home. This being said, I know I am privileged in many aspects, able-bodied, racially preferred to other communities of color as an Asian due to the model minority myth, straight middle class. I currently work in diversity and inclusion work on a college campus. However, I have realized that outside of my own devotion to Asian and Pacific Islander issues and feminism, I'm not really much of an ally for other communities and issues. I feel more authentic to those issues because they concern me directly. As a result, I am honestly terrified of being a performative advocate when it comes to other social justice issues outside of my identities i.e. issues that concern the Black and Latinx communities, the LGBTQ plus communities, people with disabilities. Since I will be working with students, I know they can sniff bullshit a mile away, (laughs) and it isn't fair to students to regurgitate social justice messages at them if we're not really practicing it. Furthermore, I have kept my diversity and inclusion work generally separate from my family life, in large part because I am scared. Although I am full Asian by blood, I was raised in the United States and my adoptive dad is white. My family is already sort of weirded out by my desire to learn our native language again and attending race and my attending race and diversity conferences. Furthermore, I feel like my work is distancing me from my dad, who I love very much. I see a therapist regularly for a recent painful breakup. However, when I bring up these issues with her, she just sort of glosses over them. I still really like her as a therapist, but I wish more people in the mental health field were trained with a social justice lens so I could figure out how to do that myself. My question, how how do you all manage recognizing your privileges but staying level-headed and not getting caught in a shame vortex? How do you prevent yourself from wanting gold stars every time you do a good social justice thing? The need for validation is something else I'm exploring in therapy. What are actionable strategies to move from being a performative advocate to an actual one? Thank you for your thoughts. I love your podcast, Lady Grantham. This is such a wonderful, wonderful topic, and I'm really glad you brought this up because... I learn new things every day myself. Uh, and just a reminder, ally is a verb and not a noun. Um, and I think it is important that you're asking these questions. Uh, for me, I find that listening and reading is everything. And as far as expecting the gold stars, I mean, I think I used to feel that way times like, oh, I did a good thing. But now it's more like people's, people are dying who... Um, uh, and it's very serious. So if you get a gold star out of saying the right thing, just know that that's that's the way everyone should be. And these things are all very serious. Um, you just heard about the story about the Starbucks, the two guys. Who, I mean, that just 
And I'm learning a lot from listening to other people. I've I have attended some training sessions done by by people um, like Cop Watch, as an example, it was actually very very helpful for me to learn about. You know what? How can a white person help out in a situation? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Reading books. I mean, um, just so many things. I think we've listed off books before. We can also list some. And uh, for me, the new Jim Crow is an example. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more you put yourself in a space where you are being an ally and listening and just being there and listening has helped me a lot. And also just know that you're going to continue to say the wrong thing sometimes and just acknowledge it, learn from it, and don't overly apologize because that's taken way more time out of everyone's <laughs> schedule. If you're like, no, no, I'm so sorry. It's like, you know, I, I still continue to occasionally say a thing that I'm like, God damn it. Okay. That was <laughs> yeah. insensitive. I am sorry. That will never happen again. Um, yeah. So that's one way of looking at it, which is that it is important. And I think everyone should be doing this. And I think if you're going to be around students and they smell bullshit a mile away. But I think encouraging conversations is also really important because um, you don't know how to teach someone else's perspective necessarily. Mm-hmm. Sally, that, that was a starter thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think everything Catherine said is um, I agree with. Um, I think that. You know, I I think that everyone has issues that feel closer to their hearts than other issues. And I think that that's like totally okay. I think, though, what has helped me um, is really, truly like understanding intersectionality and understanding how social justice, um, how different, how all marginalized communities are suffering in ways that are linked Um even though there are some people who carry multiple identities that, and that makes them increasingly more marginalized than someone else. No one is like doing great when (laughs) anyone is being marginalized. And I know that that's like a sound bite to be like, no one is free when others are oppressed. But when you really start to deeply understand intersectionality by like reading and listening and like following people on Twitter and letting people call you Twitter. Yeah. yeah, Letting people like call you out. Like for example, your students, they might call something to your attention and like being receptive to that. It really helps you understand that things are actually so linked that all of a sudden there's this barrier that's removed where it doesn't like, of course, like as a queer person, I feel like queer issues are my issues. I don't feel like racial injustice is quote unquote my issue. I feel like it's my issue as like a, person in the world and as a human being but of course like I'm not a person of color like so like my the way I participate in that social justice movement is going to be different than a person who is a person of color but when you I just I feel like when you really understand intersectionality in a deep way you no longer distance yourself from things and Mm. and I do think it requires like learning about those movements and learning about the conversations people in those movements are having like you can't um you can't be a, not a performative ally if you don't actually really like immerse yourself and like try to understand. Um, and I think also the next thing that comes from that when you immerse yourself and try to understand is like the thing about the shame vortex and the one in gold stars. I, I just feel like they kind of if you're really doing the work and you're doing it with integrity and mm. you're and you're being really honest with yourself and you're really being open to criticism those things kind of fall away because you don't need them anymore. Like those are things that are kind of the, um, the, like the training wheels of like people who are trying to have better politics. Like they want to punish themselves for like doing the wrong thing because they feel like they should, because that will absolve them of having done or said the wrong thing. And they want gold stars because they need to be recognized. And I feel like when you're really actually doing the work and participating in a real way, you just don't need that stuff as much anymore. Now, I also want to say, I think it's okay to like, I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling proud of yourself for having done a good job and wanting someone else to like share and being proud of yourself for it. Um, That might be an unpopular opinion, but I will say that like you should be extremely thoughtful about who you want to give you a gold star. You know, Uh like, you know, I, if you do something really great and it shows that you grew and you learned something about let's just say one of the communities you mentioned, like the LGBTQ plus community, don't go to an LGBTQ plus person and be like, I just want to tell you, like, I did this really rad thing. And I think you'd be really proud of me. Go to someone else who's like another straight ally and, and be like, 
I was in this situation and I made a choice I'm really proud of. Like, I, I don't think there's really anything wrong with that. I, I think that like when you do that publicly or when you do that to like the a margin, you know, to like a person who represents a marginalized group or is a member of a marginalized group and you want recognition, like that is not cool. Like and but I think you know that. I think you understand that. Um so yeah, I, I do think that like the the key to not being a performative ally is like first of all, don't perform. I mean, look, we all use social media and I think we should all stop and take a second and be like actually why am I posting this and if the answer is like I want someone to pat me on the back or I want someone to like tell me I'm an al- a good ally like just don't post it um so I think like that is really important and then otherwise like I can't I can't say enough like immersing yourself in like in the literature of the work, in the conversations of the work, in like the Twitter feeds of people doing the work. Yeah, a fun activity I've been doing and I eventually will be writing about it, um, I think for the Neo Show or something. I'm looking into the history of white feminism in America. Oh boy. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And we don't talk about it enough and it is informing me in the way I uh, am a feminist today. And I'm changing my tune about everything, but it, the research is so uncomfortable. Yeah, but um, it's pretty racist. Thing, oh, <laughs> oh, what, I mean, there's stories about the Civil War that'll blow your mind. Um, but and I don't say this to be a self-hating white woman. I say this that going forward, as if I w- want to be a feminist in the in a way that helps, I need to know what our history is. Yeah. I need we need to be accountable for what this country did, mm-hmm. and that has taught me a lot. And going back to the performative thing, actually, I did not tell anyone this because I didn't want to be like I'm a hero. Mm-hmm. But I did tell this to another white person. I was in the car with them, and we were talking about. As white people, what do we do? What do we do? And he was sort of like, I don't know what to do when I see a cop and this and that. So I told him about, again, I keep talking about the cop watch training, but it really, really helped me. And, it's, and, and that morning, the situation happened. So long story short, cop watch is a way to say, hey, white people, if you want to help when you see a black person being harassed mm-hmm. by a cop, physically your presence, without being threatening, don't try to be a hero, mm-hmm. if you feel safe. And record it, but don't let them know you're recording it. Let them wonder if you're recording yeah. it. Little tiny things you can do that shift and, you know, but only do it if you feel safe. And I've not done it yet. And this has been a year now since I've done this training. And the other day I was at Grand Central Station and I was getting some coffee or whatever. And I saw this this black man who was begging the cops like, no, something over there. Something happened over there. And they thought he was drunk or homeless or something. And four White police officers were surrounding him and they said, what's behind your ear? He had a cigarette. They're like, what are you talking about? Are you drunk? What Are you in a high right now? And I was like, okay, this is a situation where I feel comfortable just physically standing and pulling out my phone. Mm-hmm. And I did. And within two seconds, they stopped mm-hmm. and said, okay, have a good day, sir. And it was... It wasn't like I did a thing. It was more like infuriating. Of like, yeah, it's that fucking serious. Yeah. And so I told him that as an example of... You can sit around and say there's nothing we can do, but I urge you to understand there's actually a lot of things we can do that it doesn't involve the things that you think you should do, like walking up and making it worse or mm-hmm. trying to, you know, mm-hmm. be this and that. And he was like, that's 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 something I would look into. So yeah. that's an example of there are so many ways to help. And once you see it in action, it's really it's scary because I've never been approached by cops right. like that. Totally. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about the, um, shit, I just lost my train of thought. Formative allyship. Oh yeah. I know what I was going to say. One thing I think also about like becoming more immersed in the work and, um, I, I think, well, part of it is like being open to constructive criticism. Like you're going to be called out and just be cool. Um, but the other thing is that like, um, I think the other thing that I think you realize is like you just I'm going to like contradict what I said earlier about like the gold star thing. Um, You well, no, I'm not actually because I stand by don't ask for gold stars publicly and don't like ask a member of marginalized group to recognize what you've done. But the like it is part of your work as Mm. a person who is like understanding these issues more to understand that you don't deserve gold stars for this work Mm. like it's it's it like you have to just like put that aside and be like 
you know, like, again, if you want to, like, tell someone who's like who shares your social status, this thing happened and I made a good choice and I feel really good about it. Like, that's fine. But like the whole idea that like. Like the the idea that you get rewarded for doing the right thing is something that people who have privilege societally um that that is our thing like that is our thing like we think that like we should be recognized and we do a good thing and like other people in our in our culture in our country like they do great things all the time yeah. and we don't recognize them for it yeah. like that so it just you have to just like take that off a table as like off the table as like part of like what you deserve as a person and and like that and also like being in a shame vortex i think also is like a a very privileged thing to do because it's like you have the time to sit there and feel sorry for yourself as opposed to um, taking that time to think about what you did, figure out how to make it right, figure out what you would do better the next time. And look, like we all get caught in a shame vortex now and again. So I'm not trying to say that that never happens to me, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying that I think both sides of this coin, the shame and the pride are sort of things that you in it. Like the part of the work is, is interrogating those needs in you for that stuff. It's not just this extra thing. It's not like, okay, I'm going to become, I'm going to not be a performative ally. And then I'm also going to work on the shame and gold stars thing. It's actually like the gold stars thing and the shame thing are like part of the performative ally Mm -hmm. thing. And for me, my gold star quote unquote is I know I can exist in this world without having to worry about getting shot at a traffic stop. You right. know, like I, we, we, we already are those of us in a place of privilege are already doing good in life. We're okay. Mm. Don't you, why, why a gold star when right. you're not yeah. having any problems? One more thing. Right. I'd like yeah. To that's say. a really good point. Yeah. And one more thing I want to say is um, if you're, let's say in a room where there's only one person of color and everyone else is white and that person of color says, you know, when you said that, it made me feel like this. You can ask Oh, I didn't realize why. But don't press them on it. How about don't interrogate as opposed to like making them do all the work. Listen, sit with the information, think about it. Um, I find that people, I've seen this happen in rooms where they're like, but but why? But why? Or something as opposed to saying like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Thank you for letting me know. I will think about this. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's a really good point. So um, I think, Lady Grantham, that you're thinking about awesome stuff. Yeah. And um, I feel like you're already doing the work. So just like dive in a little deeper. And I think it's all going to come together for you. Yeah. And don't expect therapists all to like be on the same page about race stuff. And usually therapists always end up bringing things back to you because yeah. they want to deal with your stuff. So I don't know what your shrink's deal is, but I wouldn't worry too much about that because... You know. Well, I mean, I think that like, it, you know, if you feel like your therapist is not equipped to discuss these issues that you feel like are important to what you're going through, it sucks to say this, but you can f- go and find a different therapist. Fair. You Fair. know, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. I think like there are you can I think what you said is true. Like you can make the decision to be like, it's fine that they don't get this, whatever. But you can also make a decision to be like, why the fuck doesn't this person like get this? And you can also and I'm going to get a new therapist, but you can mm-hmm. also say to them, yes, like, I feel that when we when I bring up these issues, which are really important to me, that they get kind of glossed over. And I want to talk about that. And if they're not willing to enter a conversation with you about it, then that's bullshit garbage. That is a very good point. Too, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And these are things that you can talk to your shrink about. You can talk to them about anything at all. Yeah. And it sucks. But like, some some therapists like really are not equipped like they're not they're not interested in social justice issues they're not equipped they're colorblind they only see one race like whatever the fuck is going on with them mm-hmm. and that sucks <laughs> and it, sh- it shouldn't be so hard to find a therapist with some goddamn cultural competence yeah they but, are hard to find but they're them. hard to come by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway yeah well i hope that helped um yeah Same. yeah wow wow we got into it all right let's get to uh Email number three. Heck yeah. So email number three uh, would love a name from whatever show we are currently watching and loving. Now, I am right now only watching Rachel Maddow. Okay. <laughs> Should we just go with Maddow? Yes. Done and done. But they want they want something where, where we are currently watching and loving. Is it fair to say that we both would would watch that? Yeah. I mean, I've never watched Rachel Maddow, but she seems great. Yeah, she's pretty So right. Maddow. Maddow. Done great. and done. Okay. Hi, Kate and Sally. I think I will just ask two general questions and greatly appreciate any advice you have on the matter. 
One, how do you heal from a friend breakup? We place such emphasis on romantic breakups, but friend breakups are also horrible. My best friend of 12 years ghosted me this past year when I was at the worst part of my clinical depression. Upon much reflection, I've realized that she was actually a very unsupportive friend and our long friendship was not actually helpful. Even though this may be the best, it still hurts. Maybe for the best, it still hurts. I'm in therapy and we talk about this almost every single week. Two, how do you ground yourself when changing your mental health medications? I started a new medication recently because of side effects from the last antidepressant, and I'm realizing that this may not be the medication, quote unquote, for me, either due to different side effects. I feel so confused and frustrated and ungrounded. I know that all of my feelings are valid, but it feels so hard to not know how my mind and body are reacting to these medications and having to just trust the process with my psychiatrist and recognizing how long it could take to find the right fit. Thank you. Appreciate you both so much. We'll attach a picture of my dog, Maddo. Can I just for one second talk about this dog? Uh, talk, please talk about this dog for more than one second. Maddo, your dog is exuding. It's wearing a collar or is that a part of the leash thing yeah it looks like a harness type deal <sighs> it's looking straight at us in the eyes it's got this confidence there's it's, eye contact happening. There, there's eye contact it is it's feeling really confident about a thought it's having it is um it's laying on the stairs mm -hmm. as if it owns the place yeah, uh -huh. which it does and it has the most beautiful haircut and i just want to kiss its nose I want this dog to be my life coach because oh. this dog looks like they have it all figured out. This dog knows. Things. Am I right? This dog ha has seen some shit and it knows things and it it's looking at us directly like I, I see you. This dog is like, Sally, make the bed neater. You know, you can make the bed neater. This dog's like, Catherine, you're going to be fine. Just pet me. You're going to be fine. Uh, We're all going to be fine. And I know it because this dog is looking me right in the eyes. Dead in the eyes. Oh, Maddo. This is really intense eye contact. <sighs> okay. Well, oh, listen, so Maddo. So your problems. Okay. okay right. So, <laughs> and that's the show. Just kidding. Okay. So, Maddo, number one, friend breakups are the worst. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend breakup with a really long time, really close friend. and It was a while ago. I, it was like when we first started the struggle bus. Yeah. And I... Um, Wait, you had a friend break up with you? No, I broke up with them. You broke up with them. Okay. Yeah. And it was just like, like I could have written what you said. Upon much reflection, I realized that she was actually a very unsupportive friend and our long friendship was not actually helpful. I feel like this friendship was like, did way more damage to me than um, whatever. Let me not get into that. The point is friend breakups are really tough. Um, talking about it in therapy every single week sounds exactly right. Um, you're doing the work. Um, and healing from a friend breakup for me my my friend breakup situation helped me understand how I had like participated in this codependence and how I participated in what was ultimately like just a really toxic relationship. And I, of course, I didn't realize it at the time, but with some distance, I understood what was happening for me. And that that was such a huge part of the healing for me. I also allowed myself to get really angry at this person and just be like just like own my rage at how I felt they had treated me so I don't know how you feel about getting angry and I don't know how you feel about um you know embracing some fury about how this person was not supportive when you needed it most um and you know I don't know I don't know your life that might not be helpful for you but some some anger I I just you know, went a really long way for me. And then also just like doing that reflection that it sounds like you're doing, which is just like understanding, like, you know, I, there's a difference between understanding the role you played in a relationship and taking on blame for what happened in the relationship. They're very different. I don't blame myself for what happened in this friendship, but I do see what I like, you know, how I was, what I was bringing to it and how I was participating that, um, created some nice buttressing for the very um unhealthy dynamic that we had so um go that route is my advice and i i don't want to talk about the second one yet before i i had a friend break up many years ago that was uh this person had become very toxic mm. controlling um <laughs> i don't want to get into how epic the breakup was it's a very funny story but we are actually friends again now. Oh, wow. And it took a long time. Okay. And the reason we are is because she did some self-reflection 
I did some self-reflection. We were both just not right for each other at the time. Mm -hmm. She'd gone through some stuff. I'd gone through some stuff. We were being mean to each other. I think also, like, being ghosted by a best friend of 12 years is pretty tough. I mean, that is, that's like, that's some just real intense shit. And so... I don't know if this is the case for you, but I think if I were in your shoes, I would not just be like feeling sad or hurt about the relationship being over or like maybe not sad and hurt. I wouldn't just be feeling the pain from not having the friendship. I would also feel really hurt at being ghosted, which is just, I think, a really shitty thing to do. You can ghost someone if you've been on like fewer than four dates with them. You can't ghost someone you've like spent more than like four hours with in life can you can you go someone well you can't go someone after 12 years of friendship you can go you can do whatever you want you can do whatever you want and if someone is terrible and toxic you should absolutely ghost them but being ghosted by a friend uh must feel really shitty um and uh again go back to the anger thing get not i don't know i don't want to tell you to get mad but like I'm sorry. That sucks. I guess I'll just end it there. Well, also, you just said you you were going through the worst part of clinical depression. You know, you don't know what's going on in this person's head. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they were, um, it was scary for them. Maybe it was upsetting because they too were depressed. I mean, you never know necessarily what the other person is thinking and why they reacted the way they did. So it's the kind of thing where you may never know. And that's, that's on them. And all you need to figure out is what do you want out of future friendships? What hurt you about this what do you miss about them it's okay to miss them and and I think that um it's good that you're still talking about it because you're really investigating yourself as well and I think that things like this make you investigate every relationship you have and I'm sorry this happened to you and um but just know that you know who knows what what they were going through too yeah although it does sound like they were a not good friend for a long time Um, I mean yeah yeah (laughs) um okay so should we answer the second question yeah and I, I don't know if I said she and I don't know if it was a she so I apologize but um the yeah, friend. Um, oh, it, she it, was very. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. She they said she, okay. yeah. Um, How do you ground yourself when changing your mental health medications? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I, I'm gone. Yeah, I, you should start. I'm it's easy really for sure. me, actually. Okay. okay. Having been through the, uh, I was on something years ago, and it took me a long time because a lot, a lot of people don't know is it takes months for for things to kick in. Sometimes you never know what the side effects are going to be. You never know if it works, and then if it doesn't work, you gotta wean off it and try something else. But knowing that in advance, when you do find the right one, it is really, really great. So just be aware that all of your feelings are valid. Check in with your doctor. Check in with your friends who you who you want to share with, and just make sure your doctor knows all the side effects you're having because there could be a side effect where it's like, ooh, that's not, I can already tell that's not good. So it's going to be a constant check-in with your psychiatrist. And um, it's tough because some side effects are worth it. The one I found I was on for a long time did have side effects. I was on for four years, but the side effects were worth it Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, So, you know, it really is like just I don't want to say it's like dating. It's it's just <laughs> trying out things, but just know that the reason it takes so long is because um, it, t- it sometimes takes a while for you to get in the system. Mm. But when you do find the right one, it's really, really helpful mm-hmm. and worth it. But it will take some time. Yeah. Um, Sally? Yeah, I was going to say like um, – I yeah like I I think that one thing you could do is you can say to your psychiatrist like I am I really need you to tell me that we're going to find something soon because I hate the way I feel and I'm this is very frustrating for me I think it's like totally fine to say that and I think any psychiatrist would be fine with like you giving them a call to like talk through that um another thing to do is like this is an exercise that might sound kind of annoying to do but I'll say it anyway um think about like just every day you're closer to finding the thing that works for you. And that's like a big deal because think about how you felt. Well, I don't know how you felt, but like think I'm just going to guess, like think about how you felt before you had like sought an intervention for the way you were feeling. Like, the fact that you even are on a path to getting this figured out is so good. And every day that goes by, you're a day closer to finding the right thing. Another thing I will say is like, I think it is very difficult. I'm like just going to project onto you real quick, if that's okay, Um, which is that when I was going through my like when I had appendicitis and then I got the old appendix yanked out, I was like saying to Andrea, like, I know that this is temporary and I'm going to feel better soon. Mm. And I know that like 
you know, next week I won't feel this bad, but I just really need you to listen to me talk about how bad I feel right now. And it was everything from like before it was diagnosed and I was in a lot of pain to like when I was like talking to her ad nauseum about being scared about the surgery to like during my recovery when I was like, you know, you know, really, really frustrated. And it's like, like, it's like everything you said, it's so hard to not know when your body and your mind are going to feel the right way. And you know, that all you, that all you have to do like what you need to do is just like sit through it and like wait for it to get better and it's so shitty but i will say being able to vent about it and talk about it and have someone be like i'm really sorry you're going through that i would do anything i could to like take your frustration away i'm here for you that can be really really good so if you have someone in your life that you can kind of talk to um about how you're feeling i don't know maybe you already are but i just i think it's so important to like not just be like stoic and Mm -hmm. be like, well, I understand my feelings are valid and I know this is going to suck, but I just have to get through it. Like, yes, that is all true. But you can also like give yourself a hand by like allowing yourself to like vent and lean on people. Yeah. And also, I know your psychiatrist is taking care of you, but you have got to always be an advocate for yourself because it's not that they won't check in with you or think about you, but they have a lot of patience. And if you're really feeling something, check in with your psychiatrist, make them work for you. You know, they're not psychic. They, they, they may not know if you're having a bad side effect. So check in as much as you can with your psychiatrist because they need to know. Mm -hmm. And if your therapist and psychiatrist aren't already in touch, it's not a bad idea to Mm -hmm. have them in touch in case your therapist notices a change and then we'll, you know, give them permission to talk. If you, if you trust that, that's a really good way to get a team together so that if you're, shrink notice is one thing and your psychiatrist doesn't or vice versa it helps to have them communicate yeah if you feel comfortable. that's like such a good point like I my pattern sometimes with like healthcare providers is to like assume that they know that I'm really frustrated or yeah. assume that like they know I am really really worried but sometimes it's a matter of them knowing and then they'll like be responsive yes so if you haven't already you know, shared this with them, you put know, them yeah, put, put them in touch and get in touch with them and be like, look, what are your strategies? That's like a totally valid thing you can say to your psychiatrist because they deal with this all the mm-hmm. time. Like sometimes people show up and they're like, I'm in crisis. And the psychiatrist is like, cool, here's a thing that might take four weeks to work. So they're used to helping people like with those strategies. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely talk to them about that. I think that that's a really good point, Catherine, that, yeah. that advo- advocacy. Yeah. And I don't know if legally that they're allowed to unless you give them permission. So for example, my back doctor and my masseuse lady, they're friends, they work together. They each ask for permission to talk about me amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. And that has really helped my care plan because it saves me the step of having to report the same thing. But you have to give them permission to talk right. amongst themselves. I, I think there's a law about that. And when all else fails, my gosh, just look at your dog, okay? Ask your dog for advice. Because oh. I, I asked your dog for advice like five times while Catherine was reading this, and I got really, really good advice. What did the dog say? The dog was just like, Sally, it's going to be okay, but you have to keep practicing self-care. Yeah. You do have to make the bed a little neater. I know it's quicker to make it messier, but you know you feel better when it's neater. You know you need to drink more water. You know it takes time to get up and get yourself water, but mm-hmm. you know you feel better when you do. Mm-hmm. You have to put your phone on do not disturb an hour before bed. Like This dog just gave me such good self-care you know, this dog just told me, what? I think I deserve some food right now, and I'd like a belly scratch. Oh, God, this dog. Yeah, I think the dog's ready for dinner. It's looking at me like, okay, can we do this now? Most importantly, Matto, how can we scratch <laughs> your dog's tummy? Is it possible to <laughs> do a Skype session with your dog? With your dog's belly. Please let us know. Or, or a head scratch. A, a little, head scratch. Little any, well, yeah, any part that we can oh, pet would be a great. A little mustache. Yeah. Oh, this dog's a real muffin. It's beautiful. Um, so Matto, good luck to you. Um, it sounds yeah. like you have a lot on your plate, but also that you're coping the shit out of it. I know that's not yeah. an expression, but you're crushing it. Crushing so just it. keep on keeping on. Yeah. It takes a while and you'll get there. And, and uh, I'm proud of you. Same. Proud of you, Matto. And your dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have the song of the week. Do you mind doing a little outro while I get, get us ready for yeah, this? Yeah. Get in that song of the week headspace. And I'm going to take us out with... Please follow us on Twitter at StruggleBusPod. Email us at StruggleBusPodcast at gmail.com. You can email us there to ask us a question or to request to be uh, added to the secret Facebook group. Please provide us with the email you use to sign into Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at the StruggleBusPod. Use the hashtag StrugglePodBuds420. Follow Catherine at SPKHeller. Follow me at Sally T. Catherine, tell me about the old song of the week. You guys, listen, you know how things 
age and time and they are sexist and <laughs> you know some songs have things in them like never trust a big button to smile mm-hmm. and then they talk about how me and the crew used to do her right oh yeah you know kind of kind of like how um you know the wb actually puts warnings ahead of their cartoons like hey heads up these cartoons have racist images because back in the day oh really but, oh yeah yeah they do but apparently the simpsons can't do the same thing with the apu character because they're like yeah, fuck, them. fuck them anyway um but this song is great to dance to when you're really feeling it. So the lyrics, problematic. Okay. The song, perfect. Mm-hmm. Belle Biv DeVoe, poison. Done and done. That's right. Uh, I love it. It's one of my favorite songs. Don't you ever play it at a wedding because I will clear the dance floor nice. with my moves. I hope you enjoy this song. So, hey, thank you so much for listening. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. Bye. Bye. That girl is I were you, I'd take precaution Before I step to meet my girl You know, cause in some